You're listening to the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast. We hope this message speaks to you and encourages you. You can find more messages by searching Catalyst Church of Carrollton on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Learn more at IamCatalyst.net. Easter Sunday. Attendance doubles. If you're doing it right, your attendance doubles on your average attendance doubles on Easter. We put a lot of hype on Easter Sunday, but the church doesn't happen if it doesn't start in that room on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection of the crucifixion and resurrection. I wouldn't be standing here without the presence of God. It started in a room. It starts in a room with other people. It doesn't stay there. The church didn't stay there, but it starts there. It starts there, and I just want to tell you a story today. I want to tell you a story. It's a story that happened. It's a story that still happens. John the Baptist promised. He said, did I baptize with water? But one who is coming, he was speaking of Jesus, will baptize you with the fire and Holy Spirit. The presence and power of God still happens. Will you tell somebody right now, I don't care if it's holiday weekend and people are at the beach, we welcome you online. If you're at the beach, we don't like you, but we're glad you're still here. Can we just say it? I don't care. Can we just say it still happens? Say it like you mean it or want to believe it. Say it still happens. The power and presence of God still happens. It still happens. It still happens. And I'm going to say it louder than you if you won't say it with me. It still happens. Everybody preaches on the resurrection on Easter. Everybody preaches on the resurrection, but not everybody preaches on the Holy Spirit on Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is just as relevant, just as real, just as important, and just as life-changing as Easter. I can tell you, the presence of God found me as a little kid in a broken home in a broken situation. I could have had all the knowledge of the Bible I have today, but if I don't experience Jesus the way I experienced him and felt his presence in situations that were hopeless and still don't make sense to me, Pentecost still happens. God still parts red seas in our lives. He still raises the dead to life. He still will blow your mind. He still feels addiction. He still brings deliverance. He still gives you peace when nothing and nobody makes sense. It still happens. It still happens. And the reason a lot of churches don't go here, they don't they don't teach on it, especially in American culture. The reason that there's theologies that, are, that, that, that have explained away what happened in Pentecost and said it doesn't happen that way anymore. No, the Bible is either true or isn't. And Jesus, the Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same God. Nothing's changed. So Pentecost happened, and for every one of us, for you, for your family, for your marriage, for your life, for your finances, for whatever anxiety and depression, for your disabilities, for your mistakes, for your shame, I can keep going and going and probably get every one of you with something 
that you've got, that you need God's presence in your life. And you can have all the information and degrees. You can quote the Bible way better than me because I really don't quote it that well. But if you don't have his presence and power, I want you to know it still happens. It still happens. I have, this week, you know, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. I just sit, I sat there and I thought about God's presence and power of worship and I sat with Bradford this week, uh, you know, who we just prayed for that, that, is, that is having to fight cancer again. And, um, and, and, and I sat and he was hurting so bad in his couch this week. And I just got that red book that he's read so many times on the stage of God's promises and scriptures and he's hurting so bad. And I just read what he did. And he looked at me and he said, he said, I don't understand Blackford experienced God's presence as young as I did. And we are still standing and still believing because Pentecost still happens. Amen. And it may not happen the way you want it to or the way I'm about to teach that it happened in the New Testament, but it will happen in your life because God is still with us. He's still in us. And it is so much better than we preach and the end game and goals of churches. God wants so much more for us. Pentecost still happens. When I was young, I had Pastor Mark told me this. He said, I want you to pray this. Then I went, I prayed it, I still pray it. Before we jump in, I want us to declare it together. Can we put that up there in the declaration? So this we can say, I want everything you have to offer God. Can we say it like it's not Memorial Day weekend? Say, and say, I want everything you have to offer God. One more time. I want everything you have to offer God. Lord, Pentecost still happens. Your presence and your power in our lives, your peace, everything you promised still happens. And I pray that it will happen in this place in lives and in families. I pray that, that it happens online, whether it's through an iPhone or a computer or a podcast later on, uh, Spotify, whatever it is, Lord, it still happens, Lord. And we do not settle for anything less than everything you offer and put on the table. We will not leave it on the table. We will not leave your promise under a tree, and we won't put it on our shelf. We need it. We want it. Our world needs it. And it ain't just about being raised to life. It's about living right here, every moment in your presence. Presence, Lord, just fill us with your presence. We hunger for it. We want it. Help me do justice to it in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell somebody to say it still happens. I didn't make you stand up so you could be a little bit louder and say it still happens. I'm not going to read a lot of scripture today. I'm actually going to spit a lot of it. I've changed my outline 17 times, I feel like, which is why Angie and all of them are mad at me because I was changing it up to this morning. I'm really not going to read a lot of scripture. I'm going to tell you a story, a true story, a story that happened, and a story that still happens. So I'm going to spend a lot of scripture, but I'm not going to have a lot on the screen because I want you to hear me. Jesus taught, he said, the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. The Holy Spirit is not a it. When we say Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, which it does translate more ghost than spirit in the context, but the Holy Spirit isn't a it, it's a person. It's the Spirit of God, just like Jesus was a person. So when I say Holy Spirit, I'm talking about a literal person. This ain't no fairy tale. This isn't somebody that you hope to see one day when you get into glory. This is a person who is with you when you are burying them. He is with you when the bank account is empty and you're in the courtroom going bankrupt and your credit was your everything and they leave you, they don't like you. He, he is a person. He is not afraid. And he's still here. 
here and it still happens. So say that right now. Say, say he's a person. Say he's for me. The Holy Spirit is for you. Jesus said, I promise you, I'm going to send it. And the Holy Spirit, not your intellect and how you read the Bible. Because the Bible says the Spirit kills it. The letter kills it, but the Spirit gives life. His presence gives life. You can know a lot of the scripture. You can debate me under a table and still be dead wrong because you don't have his presence and power because you're still relying on yourself. Paul said the same spirit, same spirit, same person, same presence that raised Jesus from the dead, same power lives inside of you. And he told the church at Rome and will give life to your mortal bodies, your mind, your anxiety, your situation, your insecurities, your shame, your setbacks, your mortal situation. That's not talking about one day. He says mortal. Right here. Right now, single mamas, you ain't got no yet got a relationship because you can't even you can't even you don't even know yourself or love yourself and you're trying to find it in a man or a woman. Listen, listen to me. Same spirit, same power. John, who was the best friend of Jesus, his nickname was the, the disciple that Jesus loved. This is Jesus' closest friend and confidant on this side of eternity. And he says, We will he writes in the New Testament, we will overcome them. Why? How will you overcome them? How will you overcome whatever you're facing, whatever you've got to get through or get over? How? He says, because greater is he who is in you, say me, than he who is in the world. Right here. He ain't talking about greater is he who is in you because one day you're going to get to eternity and it's going to all suck and you're going to suffer now. And when you suffer now, you'll pay, you'll, you'll get the reward later. No. He says, greater is he who is in you than he, your employer that doesn't see you, your ex that doesn't like you and tries to burn you to the ground, whatever, whoever undersells doesn't see you, greater is he who is in you than whatever's around you. And John says, my children, he, we will overcome them. It still happens. It's still true. And if it's not, then all of it's a lie. And all of it's a lie. And so Jesus tells the Jesus promised, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, my presence. He actually tells the disciples, if you read it, he says, it's better that I leave. It's better that what's about to happen, I'm ascending, I'm leaving because I'm relocating. I'm not going to sit here and take down the world. God's a gentleman. He doesn't force himself on you or anybody else. But he said, I'm going to invest my presence in you. I'm relocating. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do this whole spectacle thing. It's done. I'm, I'm, I'm investing my power, my presence in you. You are anointed. Not just me when I stand on the stage and I'm doing well and have a good day. You have a plan. You are called to parent your kids. You are called to, to be a light. He has invested himself in you. And he says, it's just better that I go because I'm going to reinvest myself. I'm relocating. I'm going to be in you. And so in Acts chapter 1, Acts is the New Testament church. It's where it all started. And it started in room with people. Not alone, not running from God, not running everything, fighting everybody because you don't want to, because you're resisting God. It happened in a room seeking his presence. For me, I couldn't even read when I experienced God's presence. I wasn't even reading it. I was younger. I was like three or four in a home that was, it was a tough situation. I've still got memories of it. And I found Jesus there. I couldn't even read to quote a scripture. And in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, he says, he says, guys, he tells the disciples, this is before he relocates, this is before he ascends. He says, wait, hold up in Jerusalem. Don't run off. Because let's face it, what happens when something ends? We find the next thing. What happens if Jesus is saying to the disciples, what do we do now? And we're going to find something that we know. He said, hold up in Jerusalem. Hold up. Don't go anywhere. 
You wait, you worship, you still yourself, and you, and you seek my presence. And he says, and John the Baptist baptized in water. And in a few days, boys, in a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The disciples already loved Jesus. They already had the Holy Spirit. He said he was going to take them deeper. He was going to do something more. He said, hold up and wait. And you know what they did? They held up and they waited. And they worshiped. And some of you in here right now, God is telling you, and if, you, if, you, if, you, if you're resisting it, you need to hold up. You need to stop trying to control everything, do everything. You need to try to hold everything together. You need to quit trying so hard, running at everything, from everything, getting mad at everything, trying to fight every battle. You need to stop. I know that you love your kids, but you are not their God, and you need to stop trying to be. You are stressing yourself out, and you need to hold up. Because if you trust God, you'll do what he said, just like the, with the disciples. And you know what they did? They held up. For 10 days. Not an hour and a half in church and my long-winded sermons when we go a little over an hour and a half. No, ten days. They held up. They held up and they worshipped. They sought the presence of God. They didn't worry about lunch and about the bank account. They had literally everything. They sold everything and followed Jesus for Jesus was dead, resurrected, now he's ascended, he's gone. And they still took that time and they did what he said. And there's some things in your life you got to stop trying so hard and stop making things work and trying to fix things and you need to sink it just like they did. Because Pentecost happened and it still happens. The power and presence of God can happen in your life. Tell somebody next to you to say it can happen for you. Now I want you to say it a lot louder than that say it can happen for me. It will happen if you'll do this. They did it. And in Acts chapter 2, it happened. You can go read the whole account for yourself. It happened. The power and presence of God fell. They were in the upper room. And the, and the power and the presence of God fell on everybody in that room. And it says it sounded like a mighty as great as a mighty Russian windstorm. It says tones of fire fell on them. And it's interesting. It's interesting because... In that weekend, because God sets up, sets every one of us up to be in a position to experience His presence and power at the most opportune God appointed times. Because it did, I don't have a lot of time to explain it, but this festival that was happening this weekend on Pentecost was the most popular. Everybody from every part of the world was in Jerusalem that weekend to see this. There was a melting pot of languages and people. So, at this perfect time, He didn't tell them, wait 10 days. Well, you say, I'll take you, God, but I've been going to church for a year. I ain't seen much happening. Still broke. Still don't like my husband. No, he didn't tell them 10 days. He said, you wait and you worship. And then, and then what John the Baptist said, I'm coming and I'm going to change your life. They didn't, get, they, didn't get, they didn't get details. They got directions. And so when it fell, it says tongues of fire fell on each of them. I love that. It doesn't say some of them. All of them. Everybody in that room that was seeking the presence of God. And they begin to speak in tongues. Now, here's the awesome thing about that. Everybody outside that upper room, and by the way, it probably wasn't a house. It was probably some type of upper room that was over a temple, in some temple room that oversaw the city where everybody could hear them because everybody heard what was happening in that room. See, the presence of God poured out of that room. Everybody didn't come to the room. It went out from the people in the room. It started there. Insane. 
And so what happened is they all heard it. They understood it in their own language. They began to hear the gospel because, check this out, clarity happens. And clarity still happens. In this world, you, me, your marriage, your life, social media, DC, your mama, your daddy, we need clarity. And that day they all understood clearly. They understood it. And 3,000 people, the Bible says Peter's words pierced their hearts. It wasn't Peter's words, it was the presence of God through Peter. Everything you see in the book of Acts that we try to emulate, people trying to get find Peter's shadow to get healed. I mean, all this stuff where, where the enemies of the disciples are like, man, they were trying to kill him, and it says they were amazed at their courage and took note that they had been with Jesus. They didn't see Peter. They didn't see John. They saw the presence of God with God through them. And so this moment where, where tongues of fire fell on them and they began to just speak and preach, 3,000 people were added to the church. 3,000 people accepted Jesus that day and he changed their life. You know, the, the presence and power of God changed their life. It is the first moment, Pentecost, that the presence of God moved in the church. This continues to happen and it still happens. And that was the first time. 2,000 years later, it's across the world. And whether we like, yeah, the church is messy, but God's in it. Because God's in your messy. Is he ain't afraid of mine and yours, your family? Church is messy because people are involved. But I'm going to tell you, the power of God still rests on the church. Anybody that wants it. Anybody that wants it. But guess what? This sincere, authentic moment, supernatural, it was not engineered. I am grateful that we can do all this stuff and all this sound and we can reach online so that people in the beach can make us jealous and watch online on Memorial Day weekend. I am grateful that you can have COVID and watch church and we have the lights and the volumes. They didn't have any of that. All they got was Jesus alone and, they, and his presence. That's it. I'm grateful for the extra stuff, but it's not necessary. So that day, 3,000 people, this sincere moment, from God, not orchestrated, not a show, and it says that the people were amazed, but there were still haters. There'll always be haters. There's no scandal involved. This is straight, organic experience with God that formed and filled the New Testament church and is still overflowing today for anybody that wants it. And there were still people that didn't want it. Because it says some, it says many were amazed, and it says some, it says, but they were perplexed, the translation I read this way, this week, and they ridiculed them. They were numb and desensitized to God's presence. Telling you, what you saw in worship today, it didn't sit well with you because that ain't the way I do it. Listen, that's not a problem with us. That's a problem with your heart because we all, every one of us, that's not, don't judge the people that ridiculed them. We do it all the time. We write off people and principles that we aren't ready to receive. We push them away, we get mad at them. That's what we do. Especially in American church culture. If I don't like it, if this place ain't cold enough, if, it, if it's too cold, if it's too cold, if you talk about my money, if they talk about money in church, I swear to God, you get mad at the government and the church for talking about your money, and we can't even take your money. You have to want to give it. We do, and God forbid you get conviction and feel challenged by God. You know what we do? We do the same thing. They're crazy. They're drunk. They're mean. They're picking on me. They're judging me. We push it away. Nothing has changed. God's promises hasn't changed, and people's tactics haven't changed. Mind yours always. We write it off. Nope! 
We live in a world that's easy to be comfortable. In the American culture, we have explained away what happened in Acts 2 says it doesn't happen anymore because we don't like awkward. Let me tell you, you can, you can explain away all you want to Acts 2. How do you explain away Jesus when he heals a man and spits in mud and wipes it on his eyes? There's nothing there. Jesus was shaking things up because sometimes to confront the complacency and pride in our life, he has to shake us up. So you can explain away, and you end up explaining away the whole Bible, and you ain't got nothing left. And that's honestly, if you want your own strength, that's what it'll be. But Pentecost still happens if you want it. It still happens. It still happens. And Peter responded this way. He said, man, it's 9 o'clock past. 9 a.m. in the morning. He said, all the drunks, they're still sleeping. They just went to sleep a couple hours ago, bro. We ain't drunk. We'd still be sleeping. It'd be like 11 a.m. We're having this conversation. We're drunk. I'm just going to tell you, the presence of God still happens and it can happen to you. Can you just say that? Say it can happen for me. Can we say the declaration Pastor Mark told me to pray years ago? Say, I want everything you have to offer God. Everything. Pentecost changed everything. God wants your relationship status with Him to be more in your relationship status on social media that nobody, not even you, takes seriously. I'm going to say that again. I just need to say it again. I want to say it again. God wants your relationship status with Him to be more than your relationship status on social media that you, that, that nobody, not even you, takes seriously. God wants more for you. I'm saying this, and some people don't like it, especially churches. God wants more for you than to save you and, and to give you security. I don't, that's why you don't see us celebrating all these decisions. I don't, I don't measure our growth by people's decisions. I measure it by the fruit the next two years after you and see what you do with God. Because the fruit, the scorecard, is are you still seeking this and, and experiencing Jesus on new levels? Because I can write your name in a book and say we led a million people to the Lord last week and nobody's truly seeing his glory for the next ten years. That's not my goal. The gospel, God wants more than for you to walk around, make a decision, get baptized, and say you did it. That is not the gospel. I wouldn't even say that's a circus. I'd say that's a show. That is not what God, he wants more than that for you. God wants you to experience his presence and power in every part of your life. In every part of your life. Can we just say that's like Pentecost happens? It still happens. I sent a book. Um, I, I, I got our leadership and staff to write a book last year. Or excuse me, to read a book, write a book. Goodness gracious. Oh, no. No, I ain't writing nothing. Something like that. I got them. I told them all. They all read it. We read it. It was great. I told them, this is who we are. This is who we'll be. If you want to read a book on the presence of God and the Holy Spirit, you want to know what we believe every word in that book. Robert Morris is the pastor at Gateway. It's a profound, very practical, simple read. I've read it several times over the years. It's amazing. I encourage you. You want to know who we are as a church, how I feel about the presence and power of God and the Holy Spirit. There it is. The word baptism in the Bible is, it says this. The word baptism in the Greek is Baptiza. Baptiza, which means to place under, to emerge, uh, to submerge, to submerge. That's why we do the all in. 
all in. And they're all in to go all under, overwhelm. God wants to wreck you. He wants to overwhelm you. He wants to submerge you in his presence. There are three baptisms taught in Scripture. The first is this. It is water baptism. We're doing it July 23rd. Water baptism is symbolic. I'm dead to myself. This is Jesus God on the cross. I'm dead to myself. And I'm coming out of the water and symbolic of being raised to life, just like Jesus surrendered his life and surrendered yours to him. Telling you, Jesus still raises dead babies to life and you your life. Water baptism. There is a second baptism, the baptism into the church, the body of Christ. Paul says we've all been baptized into one body. You are not just church isn't something we do, it's who we are. People ask me for years. People ask me for years. Um, I didn't go to church so much. You know, I mean, my family was long before we got hired at church, long before I got paid at church. Church is something we do. And it's not something we do, it's who we are. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. You are the light of the world. You are anointed. Peter says you are living stones. You are, we are a royal priesthood. We are family. And Paul says we've been baptized. When you take ownership and say, this is who I am, I am the hands and feet of Jesus, there is the baptism into the church. And then lastly, we overlook this, we explain it away, but it is all throughout the New Testament. It is in Scripture. It is something you can't miss, and if you want to, you can overlook it, but it's there. It's the baptism of the Spirit that you've heard said a lot today. The disciples had already, the disciples had already experienced Jesus. All right, they had already experienced Jesus. They'd already committed to Jesus. They'd already started following Jesus. They'd already experienced his presence because in John 20, before Pentecost, the Bible says Jesus breathed on them. Keep your focus on me. I'm trying to keep my, no, I'm sorry. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of, ADD out today. In John 20, Jesus breathed on them and said, receive my spirit. The words Holy Spirit, the word spirit in Greek and Hebrew means breath, a wind. When Jesus, when God created us in Genesis, it said he breathed on us the breath of life. And Jesus breathed on his disciples. He strengthened them. And he wants to breathe on you. He wants to breathe on you. And so the disciples had already experienced salvation. They had already experienced God. They had already been breathed on. They had already received the Holy Spirit. Pentecost was something different. It was something deeper because God wants something deeper for all of us. For all of us. Every one of us. And God wants to immerse you. He wants to submerge you just like the symbol of water baptism and being a part of the church. You are all there in the body of Christ and being a part of his hands and feet. Baptism is no different. He wants to submerge you, immerse you. He wants to cover you with his presence. And the disciples had already loved Jesus for a long time. You can love your spouse. 
You can be a great team. You can be a great team. You can be you can be connected. You can be a great team. You can not cheat on your spouse. Be committed to your spouse. But are you but and not be connected to them? Not be really intimate with them. Not really be partners with them. Not truly be close. You can be compatible, but not be close. God doesn't want you to hold him at arm's length. He wants to be close to you. What we see on Pentecost is a baptism. It is a separate, distinct moment. God wants to overflow in every part of your life. I would not be up here if it weren't for his presence. I can tell you straight up. Tell you straight up. I want to graduate from high school. I want to graduate from college. I wouldn't be up here. I don't exaggerate when I share things to y'all like that I'm on the spectrum. That I have Tourette syndrome and major learning disabilities. Today, my mind, I've had a long week. It's racing. I was supposed to be way, way more clear than this, but I'm not. I shouldn't be here. I know my limitations. I don't like that I have to make meeting agendas. I have to lead a lot of things, and a lot of things filter through me. And I'm telling you, I'm the last person that is built in life. Good day, on a bad day, where I just want to go home and give up, it is only His presence. If you want to have one line of scripture of my life and the testimony that I am, it is this. It is not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. I'm nothing without Him. Nothing without Him. I'm desperate for Him, and because I learned so young, because of my limitations, it's helped me realize I've never once felt like that I'm just good. It is a sermons come so much harder for me. I have to work to this day, preaching all these years, I have to work so much harder on my sermons than most people. I have to tell y'all to sit down and be still unless it's an emergency and put your kids in cabinets. Because of that, yeah, it's, it's for you too, but it's for me. I have to call the youth out and say, I'm going to get somebody chasing after y'all. Y'all get up, y'all need to pee three times. I'm a mess mentally. But it keeps me reliable. Connor, last fall. Connor has loved the Lord ever his whole life since I've known him. I met Connor long before I married his mama and became pops. Connor, I met him when he was a fifth grader. Now he's an associate pastor. Connor has always loved the Lord, always loved him deeply. But last fall, he encountered what I'm talking about with this baptism of the Spirit. He encountered, he had an experience that was deeper, that was more. I've never, I, I've gotten to see it firsthand. Connor went to new levels. The songs, that, two of the songs we sang, he wrote those today. Heaven come down in fire, he wrote that after the baptism of the Spirit. He wrote that, I think it was when we were in Nashville. Connor said, I got up as early as you, and I wrote this song about him. His leadership is to new levels. I have seen, I have seen Connor become a, a deeper and better parent, husband, leader, father, Pastor, and you ain't seen nothing yet, but he encountered, he had an encounter and experience with the presence of God, and he is hungry for it. He gets it when you hear about eight in the morning. Now we got some people joining us, and we 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 pray over every seat. We pray over this room. We have been praying since fall for revival to happen in this church because revival, God wants to revive every one of us. 
Pentecost still happens. And so we're believing God for it. And I have seen God do something in Connor that I've seen him face things and face them differently and not stay in them as long. And it is only the presence and power of God. Waddell Moody. Anybody knows much about the great event? He was the Billy Graham of the 1800s. He's very fundamental. I think he was actually a Baptist there. And, um, and, uh, and Dwight L. Moody, his son, I mean, I've read a bunch of accounts of it, but his son writes the best one. Um, Dwight L. Moody was known for preaching very much relying on himself and the flesh, and, and, he was, and, and he wasn't educated. Dwight L. Moody wasn't educated at all, actually. And there were two women that came to his preaching events, and they prayed for him. They told him, Bill Moody, they said, we are praying for you, end quote, to get, to get the power. Most guys like that would push away that stuff. He prayed for it. God, I want everything you have to offer. He prayed for it. He hungered for it. He began to cry and say, God, if there's such a power, I want to experience it. I want to have that power for service for your kingdom. And his son wrote the account of what happened. He is the Billy Graham, the century before Billy Graham. He was walking down Wall Street in New York City, and all of a sudden, everything he prayed for, it just hit him. He found a friend and got a room at his place, and for hours, he just cried and weeped. It was such a sacred moment that Dwight L. Moody said, told, wrote that he rarely talked about it. He said it, it began to empower him, and he began to preach and lead hundreds of people at a time to Jesus and change their life. And he said it was the single greatest moment of his Why did Moody experience something more with the presence of God? It wasn't check a box, walk an aisle, say, Jesus, I love you, come to church every Sunday, know something more. He experienced the presence of God just like Pentecost. We named Bible Institutes after Dwight Moody, a man who had no degrees and no education. We named Bible colleges after Moody. Peter probably couldn't read or write. Do you know why everybody listens and listens and, and, and talks about Peter? It's not his education. It's not his intellect. I promise you, you ain't listening to me and coming back to Catalyst if it's just for that, because I ain't got much of it. It is the presence and power of God, the reason they're naming institutional education systems after Moody, the reason that Peter led the New Testament church, not the Apostle Paul. He confirmed with his academics Peter's leadership, but Peter led. It is only Yeah, God wants to save you, and He wants to raise you to life, and He wants you to experience His power and presence right here, right now. Hear me out. I want you to hear my heart. All my guests, I don't preach on this every week, but I do talk about it. Hear my heart. Don't write me off. I gotta teach everything. Everything. You get to choose what you do with it. There is no shame, there is no pressure in this place. I'll never force anything. But I have to teach it for what it is. And I understand the extremes. I understand the extremes. I understand that the teachings that I'm talking about today have been abused. abused. Y'all realize I grew up charismatic. I went to a Baptist seminary. I'm grateful for both. Because I feel like I've gotten the most balance from both ends. And I understand. And I'm able to see it. I 
understand the extremes. There have been abuses there's of this teaching. There have been people that have screwed people out of money and it made a show of the Holy Spirit and who can be even the great charismatic renewal that God did a lot of things and turned in, in, in the 70s and 80s. God did a lot of things and a lot of miracles, but if it gave a show, who can warn up everybody in the show? I understand. People screw people out of money. I understand people screw up. I get it. I understand it. Guess what? That happened in the book of Acts too. Go look it up. They used the gospel to get over on people because people are good at messing up good things. And when I say people, I mean you, me, you, me, you, me. But it doesn't discount or change what God did. And if he did it and he had to change, then he still does So hear me. Pentecost was a public experience. What you saw at Pentecost, the tongues that happened, it was for everybody. It was public. It was not private. It was public. Everybody experienced that that day. And yes, Paul teaches on something public. Prophetic is a better word. Everybody was able to understand. But when you read the scripture, Paul teaches on something else that is not public. It is personal. It is private. You've heard some people on stage today say this talk, their own prayer language and praying in the spirit and things like that. This is something that is intimate. It is another way of connecting. Y'all, hear my heart because I took me years to really receive this, and I'm about to tell you my story. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he doesn't just talk about the prophetic, he says things to describe this gift that are not public. He says things like he speaks in the tongue, edifies himself, strengthens himself, speaks mysteries. That is not public. That is not what happened on Pentecost. This is something that's private, which is why when he's talking about this intimacy, this connection that is available to all of us, he uses words like this. He says, when you're in a church meeting, this right now, he says, in a church meeting, we're, this is for teaching. This is for clarity. This is for information and transformation. He says in a church meeting, I would rather speak in five understandable words than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Paul is teaching point order, but he is saying there is both. And for years, I got forced. I grew up charismatic, so I, I got caught and I circled and people would say, just do it, just do it. And they would circle me and pray for me to be healed of Tourette's. And I'm grateful for my charismatic upbringing. Because I got to, because I wouldn't have found Jesus without him first, before the Bible. Him. The presence. They used to circle me and press me. Y'all, if y'all know me, anybody that knows me for like five minutes, I don't think anything. I believe, I believe in sincerity. If I'm going to screw up, be all wrong, I'm going to be wrong sincerely and honestly. And so even at seven, I was that old grandpa guy. I pissed everybody off. I didn't say nothing. No, it's going to happen. I look up. I got adults over here because I was that old dude too. I didn't go with the kids. I wanted to go to the cell groups, small groups. I'd be looking up. Well, there you go. Y'all, y'all sitting here trying to make me do it all day. Y'all didn't know who my daddy was. He was the king. I don't need you. I'm going to be bigger personality. I ain't doing it. And for years it bothered me. Because I wasn't like anything. So you're talking to somebody 
that I was a skeptic because I saw the abuse and insincerity of it. Because it's that in every movement. At school, I go to a Baptist Bible college. They didn't believe it. They taught against it. They said the change had to cease. Finally, I got to sit down with Pastor Mark, who I to this day am so grateful for his influence in my life in that season. A man that was Baptist that went to a Baptist fundamental uh, college, but he experienced the baptism in the presence of God, and he began to just show. In Scripture, simplified, he told me, "You go home and you pray this." And he said, "It may take days. I don't know what it's going to take, but just like Jesus told the disciples, it'll happen." And I just went and I prayed that prayer and I prayed that prayer, and I was 22 years old. It was by myself, not around other people. I don't think anything. Other people pressure me, and I get my attention span. I ain't doing nothing. I might as well go home. It's just me and God for days. I was 22 years old. It was 5:30 in the morning, and it just hit me. I pulled over on the side of the road, just began to weep and cry. Finally, made sense. I tell you what, didn't happen. I didn't lose hundreds of people like God. I'm moving to the Lord. Story. I still suck at songwriting. Leave that in common. I'm very free some days. Leave that in common. But songwriting, and honestly, he's, he makes more sense for stuff teaching than me most days to But I'll tell you, it did two things for me that I wouldn't understand. I can, I can account for it. I can describe it. Two things. One is endurance. That day when I experienced his presence, I had endurance. I was going through hell. I was dealing with things that most 22 years old. Over the next couple of years, I would preach my dad's funeral. I was dealing with things that just I, I, can't, I can't even describe the heaviness of it. He gave me an endurance there still to this day. People that have been in my life in seasons that are no longer in ministry, some have walked away from their faith, and I've been through everything they went through, probably some more because of what they went through. But I'm still standing. I can tell you that endurance did not come from my understanding of the word, it came from my experience in his presence. I'm not better than anybody else. This experience doesn't make me better. It makes me more desperate for him because I've seen his glory. And, and the Bible says, Paul said, you're held accountable for what you know. And I'm going to tell you, I know him. Amen. I know him. The second thing that I really want to talk about is that he gave me an understanding of heart and how to pray. I've always struggled with prayer. Hey, I'm pretty skeptical of things. I'm not a skeptical, suspicious person, but I don't want to follow anybody. I've always not like that. Still don't. We all pray vending machine prayers, is what I call it. We do. We pray to God on our terms. I want it this way. Don't do this. Make them see me and hire me and make them heal me on my terms. Make this easy. Make them say they're sorry. We always pray, and it's always our words, our terms. God, I want it this way. I want it all. I want it all. I just began to learn in that experience, and it made everything make sense of what I'm teaching you. I don't know the Lord God on almost anything. Even the things that I do, whatever He wants for me is better than even my understanding of His will. All I know is I want His will. I want His will for my 
even if that means I gotta go to the cross because a resurrection doesn't happen without a death and a crucifixion. I want I want his will and praying in the spirit is a connection for me. I can be honest with you. I you will never Paul said it doesn't happen in the church room, which is why you have never heard somebody praying in the spirit on a microphone here. You've never and when they do, I'm gonna have a conversation and say that ain't what we do here. I don't want to run anybody off, but I want to open you up to the possibilities, and it's on you if you want it or not. But this intimacy, this connection, 90% of my personal prayer life, I don't pray in my own words. You won't hear it. My mic will be when I'm over here worshiping. I need his presence because I can barely make sense in my own mind. When I go home, I'm tired on Sundays. I have nothing left. I pray, and I, I don't even I want his will. I'm about to show you that it's all in the scripture. I'm about to show you something. I don't make this stuff up. It's in there. I looked over it for years. I explained it away in seminary because I had influences that said this doesn't happen. I still, my friendships and the community of pastors, when they're struggling, I tell them I'm praying in the spirit. I know you don't believe in that, but you'll find out it's true one day in heaven. Hopefully here. Can I just teach the word just for a few minutes? I don't have much. To, can I do that? Y'all okay with that? Are you open? So what it says, Romans chapter 8 is the powerhouse of the New Testament. Actually, it's been said Romans chapter 8 is the best book, the biggest book, the most high book in the chapter in the entire Bible. And we miss the death of so many scriptures. So yeah, why not? No, I'm going to read it. Y'all keep it up there. I'm going to read from here. I'm going old school today. Uh, Romans 8 starts out, or where, where we, before we pick up here, Paul says, man, we are hurting. He says, we are suffering. Yes, we've been given the Holy Spirit, but, but we're going through pains, and it's like birthing pains. All my ladies in the place, can you say amen we men don't understand, right? Oh my gosh, it is Memorial Day weekend. But men don't understand, right? Paul says it's birthing pains that hell we're going through. Birthing pains. He says we've been given the Holy Spirit. We wait confidently. It's a, you ever been through something like that? Catalyst men, women, you, kids, that you should be in catechism right now. You ever been through something? Oh, man. We're going to do better next week. You've been through something that you doesn't make sense? There are no words. There are no words. He says we're going through it and we're struggling and, we're, and we know we have the presence of God and we wait confidently and patiently. He says we haven't received our full rights. In other words, everything's not okay yet. But this is what he said. This is how we wait confidently and patiently. We miss this. One of the greatest verses that we quote and we put on Christmas cards and graduation cards and we miss the whole context. Paul says, and the Holy Spirit Helps us in our weakness. How does he help us? How does he help us? It says, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray. There are no words for some things in your life that you've dealt with. There are no words for the pain. There are no words for the diagnosis. There are no words for the tragedy. There are no words for the crap. There are no words for the exhaustion of these that your kids are not following God and you're trying your best to show them and you are guilty because of what they've been through and you hold yourself responsible. There is no words. And the Holy Spirit helps us, for example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. There's been times in my life I have no idea what God wants. People are like, well, you know what? No. I don't know how it's going to turn out. I don't know. 
And he says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But Holy Spirit, everybody who glazes over this and doesn't really account for what he's teaching, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that cannot be expressed in words. Confirms everything Paul teaches in other places. It is a private connection with God. Where you are so surrendered that God, I trust you. And he says, and the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. In other words, the Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. He knows your situation better than you know yourself. He knows what you don't need, what you don't need now, what you will never need. He knows your strengths, your weaknesses, your secrets, your secret insecurities that you won't tell anybody. He knows the reasons you tell people, I just can't do it. I'm going to grow on my own and do it myself. He knows when you're full of crap, even when nobody else does. He knows you. He knows when you need to be kicked off the cliff, when you need to be allowed to drop into the hole of your choices so that he can protect you in that misery and depression so that you don't kill yourself and can actually live and not die like the psalmist says. He knows us. He knows you. He loves you. He is a comforter, just like Jesus said. He knows you. And so it says he pleads on our behalf. It's a surrender. And then verse 28, that we put on Christmas cards and we send texts when people are struggling. We don't even understand the depth of this scripture until we really see it for what it is. Verse 28. And we know that God calls us everything to work together for the good of those who love God. We don't even know if that makes sense. The cancer diagnosis for Blackbird, I know I got family watching online, does it make sense? There's things in your life, your kids, you love them, they didn't grow up in a broken home, but they're broken, or they did grow up in a broken home, but they've seen you grow and you want them to see the glory and growth you have. There's some things the bank account doesn't make sense, your husband, your wife doesn't make sense, your own insecurities and why you want to control things and control things, it doesn't make sense. And Paul says, when you don't know how to pray, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we surrender. We don't have words, we surrender to His will and His way. And so in American culture, we make this awkward and it is not offering it is intimate. It is personal. It is for you. And Paul said, because of that, we can look to him and say, all things work together for good. It is surrendered. I got one more, and then I'm done. I know I went too long today. Ephesians chapter 6. We talk about the armor of God all the time. Okay, where you grow up in church, though, somebody preaches and teaches Sunday school, the armor of God. Paul says, this is how we fight our battles, right? Michael W. Smith is right there with that song. The belt of truth. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The breastplate of righteousness. He says these characteristics of how you fight your battles. This was normal to them, y'all. What we have written off and just say doesn't happen was normal to the disciples. Verse 18 was not just ad-lib. It was not just, it was not just in addition to make it sound better. He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Every season, every situation, everything that makes sense or doesn't make sense. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. He says, I'm consistent. I'm connected with his presence. You see Paul as a different man 
which his earlier letters in the New Testament versus his later, versus his later letters. He is a new man. He is an expanded man. He's not the same man that wrote Corinthians that wrote Philippians. He has changed because the presence and power of God changes. It is a connection. We pray. I have learned. I don't just pray in the struggles. You'll never hear me. It's not. A, it's not a show. I don't just pray in the bad times. God, I need you. When this church has been empty and, I, and, the, and we knew we were running out of money and it was going to shut the doors, I never once, I don't pray how big, now that we've grown and this place is growing, I don't ever pray, God, make this a big church. I pray in the Spirit, I want His will. I, just, I want to be in the dead center of it, no matter what it is. In the wind, we moved over here and people would say we were losing this building. Southern Hills, if they got an offer to buy the building, we'd have to start over because they needed to sell the building. People would tell me, they'd say, are you believing God to buy this building? No. I'm praying in the Spirit because if God wants to burn this thing to the ground because He don't want us to buy it, I want Him to do whatever He wants to do. And I will tell you this, praying in the Spirit transcends time. When you study it for what it is, why do you grow? Why do you lift up? Because the whole God transcends time. I have no doubt in my mind that when I prayed in the Spirit at 22, I was praying for my wife. Because I was, we were all shocked. Russ got cancer, got cancer. I was praying for my wife. I was praying for every one of you long before Catholics even existed, let alone our new. When you were surrendered and locked into his presence, you know, God, I can't do it without you. And so don't let people abuse of something that is so beautiful. That is the blessing and the power. Too long. I wish I had some more time, but still, nothing left. What I want to do, if you're hungry for more of him, if, how about this? This right here. There is no shame in this church. This is a safe place. If you're hungry for lunch, you need to go get your crock pot. I got something to talk about. If you're not ready for this, that's okay. Listen, it took me 22 years. I grew up and took, pushed it away. It's okay, there is no shame. So here in a second, I'm going to say, ready, set, shift. And if you need to go, if you're holding your lunch, we're going to record and have a little teaching. It's going to be short. I'm not doing it because I need to be done for the day. We're going to do a teaching. If you want to hear more about the Spirit, some more technical stuff, and intimate stuff, if you want to hear more, if you're open and hungry for more, you can just say, you can tighten up. We can get together. We're going to have a three-minute transition. 
all my guests out in the lobby. We're not going to have as much coverage. We love you. You can you can stay if you want to. If you want to hear more of teaching and, and about the things about that side, if you're hungry or if you need to go, if you got kids or you're like ruining your entire week because they need to eat, that is totally okay. Thank you for being a part of this church either way. But you're all free in the get together boxes. You can still get more wine. They're coming up on uh, the options can come up on the screen real quick on my phones. Whatever it is, there's no shame. If you want to stay, hear more, stay. If you need to go, go. We'll see you next week. I hope you'll hear my heart. I hope you'll know I've never pushed anything. I was trying to force it on me. It doesn't work that way. This is not a show at this church. We are just doing whatever God has. Can we say that together before we show? Say, I want everything God to offer me. Everything. I love y'all. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know your story. Let us know how this message impacts your life. You can message us at info at imcatalyst.net. We're here for you and we are for you. If you have a prayer request, you can message us at prayer at imcatalyst.net. To keep up with what's going on at Catalyst Church in Carrollton, visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Jesus cares about you, we care about you, and we hope you join us again on the Catalyst Church of Carrollton podcast.